0: Hello everyone uh, and welcome to the aggregators and brands show. So I think we're going to be talking about some you know the great strategy like what the brands should do or what aggregators are doing on 2022 and we have a we have a guest uh, Emma Kildoff and Omar will introduce Emma.
1: So hi uh, my name is Omar um... We are here today to talk with uh, Emmett Kildoff, the CEO and co-founder of the Fortune Group about um, what might be going on in 2022 or what will be going on in 2022, because there is lots of indication, uh, lots of uh, talk uh, about uh, Amazon, about who's gonna buy what. And you know, it's, it's, it's super interesting because just today there came up some news uh, I need to look very closely into it, but Amazon is changing a lot of things, and a lot of uh, sellers are quite a, quite scared, you know. I would say, but I think mm-hmm. this is really challenging, not only for the sellers as well for the aggregators. So, Ahmed, it would be great to to let us know a little bit what mm-hmm. you think about all of this and where wh- what we can see um in the next year 2022 maybe even 2023 because it will be like even 2021 was so quick over uh when everything that happened uh, you know it's, it seems like yesterday began so what
2: can we expect wow where do where do i start well first of all thank <laughs> you for inviting inviting me to uh, attend uh, your your podcast um guys um i'm, uh, I'm a former investment bank so i will sort of come at. Uh, my responses with 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 the lens of sort of corporate finance and um, uh, what we do is we sit in between the sellers and the buyers and um, so we know all the buyers what they're up to how they're faring and um, what type of business they want to buy and we're you know we sit on the e-commerce entrepreneur side of the fence as well and help them sell um, and, uh, there's a lot in your question Omar maybe just a, maybe um, um, well let's jump straight into predictions so um Number one prediction for 2022 from the e-commerce entrepreneur side of the marketplace um, is that it's going to continue to be a seller's market. Um, uh, There's now been 12.5 billion US dollars raised in in, uh, less than 18 months across 89 Amazon aggregators, right? So that's an incredible amount of capital that has to be deployed. So um, that's great for sellers. With with the um, caveat that um, the seller needs to meet the acquisition criteria of the buyers, um, uh, whether that's revenue margins, you know, um, uh, et Um, so it's a seller's market. It's great context for, for, um, all, all, all your listeners. Um, the, um, that's the biggest, um, uh, forecast or prediction for the seller side of the market for the buyer side of the market. Um, deal sizes are going to get bigger and it's going to become increasingly competitive uh so to deploy that 12.5 billion dollars in capital it's going to be hard to do it in one million dollar acquisitions and hard is an understatement it's going to be next to impossible so we've seen a lot of aggregators even just this year raise their minimum um uh, revenue thresholds from one million to three to four and that obviously has implications back to the seller side of the market and um, So the deal size are going to increase and the competition is going to increase because there's now 89 aggregators. Um, How many were there in 2008? Probably two, Thrasio and 101 Commerce, um, not even Perch. Um, And there'll be more to come. Um, um, Valuations will increase overall. I think valuations have taken a bit of a pause um, in, in H2. Um because of headwinds for supply chain and uh, PPC costs, which, which you guys will know more about, um, it's been tough in H2. And so those a lot of firms we see have started the year with margins of 20% and are now 15%. And for those entrepreneurs, they'll have to be more realistic on valuation. So there's some of the initial themes, but there's, there's lots more, but maybe I'll stop there and, and uh, you can dig in. No, that's really,
0: that's really a great start, um, you know, and uh, there was a lot of questions like whether uh, the aggregators is, is like a bubble and maybe it will just, okay. uh, you know, not continue in the same way. But looking at the last month and uh, even like all the new uh, fundraisings, it looks like, you know, this trend will continue in 2022 for sure. And uh, I, as I agree with you, there will be even more aggregators come in, uh, but the competition is tough. Uh, and uh, I mean, do you see, um, like, do you see that, like, I mean, one of the things that we discussed, like just before the call, um, you know, when the aggregators are, as the aggregators are now becoming the competitors of the existing brands Like, what is that brand's strategy right now? Like, what are they trying, how they are going to compete, not only with the brands, but also with the aggregators, or maybe they decide not
2: to compete. Like, how do you see that? Yeah. Well, I think the good news is that um, even last year, there was probably... Uh, based on our discussions with uh, aggregators, probably less than 400 acquisitions by all the aggregators. So the good news is that uh, that's a drop in the ocean if you look at across all, all the uh, uh, the third party uh, uh, players on Amazon. Uh, there's estimated to be uh, between 40 to 50,000 earning more than a million dollars per year. And um, so it's, a, it's still a small percentage uh, that have been acquired by aggregators. However, if, if you have been correct, competing um, head on with uh, an aggregate uh, with a brand that Trazio or a purchase just acquired. That's going to be really tough because they got all the resources across supply chain, PPC, brand management, legal counsel, defence, etc. Um, really tough scenario. And in fact, we've seen um, increasingly the, the rationale for people wanting to sell is the fear of of potentially in 2022 going up against a competitor and then. Really squeezing squeezing you and your and your your gross and net margins. Um, so I think it's going to become an increasingly uh, an increasing rationale for wanting to sell. Um, I haven't answered the question uh, in terms of what do you do. I think it's I think it's really tough. Um, I think uh, you try. One option is to try to sell to one of the other aggregators. Um, I think um, trying to compete head on is going to be really tough uh, given the resources on, on, on people, but also capital for inventory and product design, creativity and so on.
1: Like the same as for, uh, for example, for agencies, right? Uh, um, everything, what, um, what, what concerning agencies, obviously they will get a lot of the, a lot of the traffic, which comes from these, uh, big aggregators or big companies right now. Um, because, uh, uh There is a lot of pressure, there is a lot of uh, real businesses now on Amazon, so we're not anymore the the normal hobby store, we are looking at uh, really um, professionals who are selling uh, right now. Um, So this brings me as well to the question uh, for the European Union, because uh, e-commerce in the European Union was, was, I would not say small, but because of the many plenty countries yeah obviously there are there is like uh, Germany which is very big and there is other small countries. Uh, now we have the East, Eastern countries, we have Turkey, we have Bulgaria, yeah. we have Romania which which are coming up. So um, there is as well now aggregators who are not only buying uh, companies on Amazon, they are now going as well into the eastern uh, and Central European countries like Poland and Turkey, uh, I mean yeah. in general Eastern Europe. And this is super interesting as well, because uh, um, they're coming some very interesting uh, companies out of there or businesses which through the pandemic went really big. So what is your, what do you think? Will we see more uh, aggregators or uh, exits from that side? Or do you think they will rather hold and build the companies more? Because obviously they're still very young and grew dramatically within the last few months, you know?
2: I think there's great opportunity, Omar, to build aggregators focused on those reasons, regions. I think um, the opportunity to launch a copycat of, of Thrasio uh, uh, sort of finished probably two quarters ago. And you've seen the launches of aggregators in the last uh, one to two quarters are all niche focused, either by geography, like Eastern yeah. Europe, Latin, India, South Korea, Japan, or by category such as wellness, or or themes such as sustainability, and, and that's where i see. I think we'll see a lot more aggregators launch in twenty twenty two to take you know to be niche, and I think there's a great opportunity for those to build up on a two to three year view and then sell to the big aggregators or to private equity. And um, so, Apontia is one that we've spoken to recently that's focused on um, Eastern Europe, and I, I think they're one of one of the only aggregator or one of very very few focused on 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 mark on markets where where others aren't hunting and so it's a bit like frazio two to three years ago they're able to get deals for sort of 2x and yeah. sort of they're not they're not competitive auctions and um, they become experts in those niches and languages and different cultures and that's really marketable in due course um, we're working with them um, uh um, an, an incubator stroke aggregator that's uh, spun out of a private equity firm in istanbul and um it's it's sourcing all the manufacturing from turkey which is you know the the, the china of the east and yes. with the exchange rate becoming incredibly uh, uh cost effective and and that's got a really interesting three to five year roadmap to build build um uh, an aggregator stroke incubator so yeah um I think uh, there, there will be a lot more activity um, in Eastern Europe uh, and within the EU, um, and then within niche niche plays. Um,
1: now, my question for you both, maybe um, I'm not I'm not from the banking uh, uh, industry, and I, I don't have a banking background or anything M&A or anything like that. That's why my question is, for example, when you have an aggregator, which is uh, let's say in the European Union, and it's not US based, so he don't have an office in the uh, in the uh, in the US or anything. Um, Raising money for them would be obviously harder than if they are directly in the US, but in both ways, it might be harder because the aggregators from the US, will they then be able to buy businesses in the European Union, I mean the banks which lend the money will they uh, go for it, because obviously overseas, uh, there is more risk involved. even though the companies are quite large, they're maybe not large enough, how does this work or how would this affect any businesses in the European Union or worldwide which are not connected to the the United States?
2: Well, uh, maybe I'll touch on the funding point first. I I, I've looked at this sort of question for 20 years, um, uh, the funding differences between Europe and the States um, at at seed level, angel level, VC level, all the way up to We've done $10 billion IPOs, and um, across all those stages of equity financing, it is much easier to raise capital in the States than Europe, full stop. Yeah. I, don't, I don't care what anyone says. I've seen it for 20 years. And um, it's no different in in for aggregators. Um, it is interesting if you look at all the VCs that have backed the aggregators, um, there's definitely a skew towards the uh, the US, um, but there are some good European names that are that are putting up, you know, big 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 names and big tickets. But it was obviously like like everything, the innovation happened in Boston in, or in the states, and then you know Europe Europe followed suit. So I think it is it is slightly easier now. Um, that's on the equity side, on the credit side, most of the credit is coming from the states, even for European aggregators whether that's upper, upper 90 or Victory Park or, 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 or others. Um, the European credit funds are, are playing catch up. The, 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 so I think there's a difference and, and hopefully uh, I agrees with me. Uh, on the other side, the big aggregators, any ambitious aggregator is acquiring businesses all around the world. Like the beauty of Amazon is, is, is it sort of, there is no geography, right? Every business is, is, is has a commonality and, and speaks the same language in terms of like how it's presented on Seller Central. So it's not like normal MA. and um, Some of the small aggregators we speak to are just focused on the States until they get up and running. But but anyone who's ambitious is also looking at, you know, Germany and, and the UK and, and, and elsewhere. I fully agree with Before you.
0: I mean, although that definitely fundraising in US is uh, much faster and uh, easier uh, compared to EU. And uh, that's the reason why even like we created EVA in in Silicon Valley, and it didn't take us more than a few weeks to raise uh, millions of dollars. And, uh, you know, when when we were starting the company, and, uh, you know, it definitely makes sense. Uh, On on the other side, um, as you said, you know, the aggregators are not only looking at you know, the where they are located, but they are looking at uh, all the other markets because let's say the aggregator is in US, uh, acquiring an EU uh, brand makes uh, a lot of sense because they can expand the brand to US, you know, like that's because that's kind of the value prop or vice versa. So the, the global reach is very important. And especially if the brand is not like globally presented, and if it is locally presented but dominating the Amazon market, it makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense to replicate that success story into the other markets. And typically yep. the brand doesn't have the capacity, fundings, resources to go, and, uh, to go beyond their comfort zone of that local presence. So the aggregator definitely has that type of resources which can ex- expand uh, the brand. And I think this is one of the Reasons why the the VCs sort or of private equities even invest into aggregators so they can expand uh, the brands and they can grow faster. Absolutely. Um the brands. Um, it, is that really happened? I am not sure. By the way, like you know, because there is also a, a counter argument to that, right? Like on one side, the aggregator business model is really helping with. Uh, You know, investing more, scaling and everything. But on the other side, there is another school of thought, which says uh, the, uh, the business of an Amazon brand is extremely lean. Like there is just one guy or two. They are partners, entrepreneurs. They have a few VAs. They are like, you know, and I'm having even negotiations with some of these brands like, oh, can you charge me $42 instead of 45 It's like every little helps, you know, to, for them to, yeah. to to make sure because, you know, Amazon is yeah. the, the, the winner anyway at the end or the yeah. suppliers are getting some of the money and running this Amazon business needs to be super lean uh, and the school of thought is like, once uh, the brand is acquired by the aggregator, just putting three times more resources uh, will not make that brand, maybe the brand will grow, but will not make it profitable. I am not sure in terms of profits, if any aggregator was able to show, demonstrate a success of improving the margins by using economies of scale or anything. I don't think that happened yet, you know, to my knowledge.
2: It, it definitely has. I can. I am glad to report that it has. Um, okay, we've been in, we've been engaged, and the only reason I know is we've been engaged by um, uh, credit funds to do to help them on their due diligence of aggregators that they're lending to, and uh, so we're doing diligence on the aggregator itself, but also on uh, brands they've acquired or brands they're looking at, and um, in in a lot of intense detail, you know. Um, and so we've been able to see a lot of a lot of great success stories, actually. Thank, thankfully, because um, uh, the good aggregators will be the best operators. Um, it's easy to buy a business, right? So they, they, the good aggregators will not be the best M M&A and deal makers, uh, like I used to be. That that's sort of a part of the equation, but it's not it's not the key part. The key part is 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 the best operators and. Um, I think the aggregators are continuing to raise bigger funds themselves, or evidencing to their equity and credit investors, or new investors that they are they are delivering um, increased performance, um, and and we've seen that we've seen that direct with with some with some with some names. Okay, I mean that's great news yeah. to hear. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good for it's good for the industry, right? Um, we we want to see. Uh, well, uh, we certainly want to see aggregators do well. I think um, it, it helps them. The um, the entrepreneurs get good exits.
1: I think I understand what what I wanted to say. Uh, when when they buy them, for example, and they don't change anything, obviously there is there is a big possibility that it stays the same. You know, but yes. right now what what I'm seeing is, for example, that people look okay. China, we, we all have seen China uh, it's terrible uh, with the with the containers, the price, anything. What is it's, it's very high and the margin is very low. So yeah. now. For example, for the European Union, we have we have Turkey, which has excellent uh, products, excellent service, and a very sophisticated network within the country, um, uh, all the production, uh, everything is, is very advanced, you know? So when we look yeah. at the same in the United States, we look at the South American countries, uh, Mexico, um, so maybe, you know, at some point, they will go closer to them in order to, um, to make these companies not, not only profitable, super profitable. And they cut the, the, the ways instead of uh, bringing ships in they just go over the land borders and uh, it would be a lot better for them. So this is uh, as well, I think this is where I see the trend going as well within the next um, uh, few years. What would you say, hi, and Emmett uh, uh, about this? Um,
0: I think
2: you look good. Go ahead, David. No, oh, no, please hi please. No, you are the guest. <laughs> you should go. Ahead. Well, I, I need, I, Omar. To be honest, I need to ask for a, a clarification on, on your point. Are you Are you suggesting that um, the aggregators um, develop more of their own uh, logistics and warehouses close to where the where the the big supply manufacturing is? Is that what you're suggesting?
1: For example, uh, I, w- I would say like the, the production, the production in general. So maybe it will change from China or maybe it does already. It okay. uh, goes for the European, Turkey, Bulgaria, uh, the Eastern countries yeah, to, to, to gotcha. have their production and for, for the US, yeah. for example, the South American countries, especially uh, Mexico.
2: Yeah, I, so, okay. Uh, thank you. I, I, I definitely see um, more diversification away from China in terms of manufacturing. Um, I think um, for certain types of products like manufacturing furniture, Turkey's an obvious um, uh, you know, competitive advantage. I think um, I think we see aggregators or buyers really find comfort when they see a uh, potential uh, acquisition, and they say the suppliers from the Western world, whether that's you know North America or, or Europe, there's a, just a sort of a sense of relief as long as the margins are still good. Um, so, we, we've one, one of the most interesting things on uh, suppliers I've seen in the last few months is um, a deal was prevented from happening because the acquirer did an audit of the manufacturer, actually sent someone out to Shenzhen to do a proper audit, compliance audit, health and safety and so on. And the manufacturer scored four out of 10. And they said, we can't do this deal because we're looking to go public. And we can't oh, be yeah. seen to be associated with the manufacturer who doesn't have enough fire extinguishers up, doesn't have enough employee guidelines or you know,
1: documentation
2: and so forth. So, um, uh, and I think that sort of comes hand in hand with China. Uh, not everyone in China, obviously, but, but, but there's probably more of that in China than other regions. Um, so, that, yeah, that was an interesting maybe, maybe, um, scenario. Right.
0: No, I mean, that's, uh, you know, the, um, we are, you know, one of the things that now on EVA we are focusing on is to streamline the supply chain, especially in yeah. terms of like how to leverage the 3PL. So normally EVA was focused on more on the Amazon side, Now we are expanding to cover all the 3PLs in the US and then later on in Europe, because there is definitely an efficiency that needs to be created. And I think aggregators are also focusing on the same. We work with the aggregators that are trying to streamline their supply chain. We just kind of understand how this can be done and try to commoditize, like the streamlining of the supply chain. Can we do it on a software? you know, use AI, use like integration and all that stuff. So I think that will be very important as well. So as you know, we are kind of uh, on the last five minutes of our, uh, you know, conversation. Like I still have one question, like just to get uh, Emmett's uh, uh, point of view on that. Uh, because you said like, uh, you know, two years ago, there was like only two aggregators. Today, there is like eight plus aggregators. Yeah. One of the yeah. things that I remember from two years ago uh, was, you know, we buy FBA business. That was the only thing, you know, we buy FBA yes. business. Are you FBA? Okay, I buy. It. You know, that's kind of like the main qualification. But today, yeah. first of all, when I look at it, you know, I think the aggregators got the point that the fulfillment channel is not really the, the the differentiator because obviously today it's all FBA, but people are having yeah. the FBM as a backup strategy. So it's not Absolutely. like one or the other, but it's like one. And if the other one exists because they, uh, the, the uh, store has the supply chain or the 3PL setup, then it makes yeah. sense to have both. So more and more, I'm seeing a trend towards the CPGs, uh, products that require R and D uh, and, and then I'm getting this private labels. They're like, okay, I want to, I want to set up a new private label because the aim is to sell to an aggregator. Well, what yeah. the guys, what the, uh, what I see that's done is like, you know, buy something from China, label it, uh, with your own label and, you know, try to sell it on Amazon I am not sure if these private labels have a chance in the future to be acquired by the aggregators because they look at like now the companies that they have some R&D so or maybe not. So how do you see that? Yeah. Like what what the aggregators are really looking at, you know, all the brands listening to us, they want to know more about like what is the trend right now? What are they looking at? Because they are not looking anymore just if it is FBA or not
2: yeah i i agree with you i think at the start of this year even um uh buyers would have sought at least 90 percent fba and that's changed significantly it's come down towards sort of some buyers will accept 50 percent, some 60 70 fba because of the the supply chain issues the limits the you know the stocking issues um, it's, it, it's good to have a bit of flexibility and have fba fbm and I think if in terms of skating to where the puck's going to be as opposed to um, skating to the puck itself, um, where it is now, um, look, the best brands that have longevity need to ultimately be omnichannel. Um, they can't just be Amazon, they can't just be Shopify, they can't just be offline, they can't just be online. So. Uh, and none of the aggregators want to buy brands that can be easily copied by China, and there's a race to 10% net margins. Right? That's, that's not what they're interested in. They want proper brands that can be worth tens of millions in their own right. And so, the the leading aggregators are already going to that going that direction. So they're uh, even the leading what we call Amazon aggregators are starting to do. DTC acquisitions, some pure DTC, not not sort of mainly Amazon and a a small bit of DTC. Um, uh, Just yesterday, we kicked off a deal for an Internet of Things company in the States um, that's uh, involved in the bathroom. It sort of recognizes every time you go to the toilet and then can automatically clean the toilet. And it sells this mainly via Shopify, and it's going to start going into Amazon. So it's... It's 100% DTC and we have plenty of the Amazon aggregators that you know uh, attending uh, that webinar and and showing interest. So so yeah, I I see um, the Amazon aggregators being more receptive to, to, to DTC, but I also see in our database, whilst there's 89 Amazon aggregators, we have 19 pure DTC aggregators which no right. one really talks about. Everyone talks about Thrasio, Perch, Brands Group. but there's, there's pure DTC aggregators, which is a harder thing to probably pull off. It's not as simple as, or as operationally efficient as Amazon, but ultimately there could be significant value created there as well. And um, they're buying DTC-led businesses, but and they're bringing those onto Amazon in some cases, which is probably the easier journey than going the other way. Um, and all of this will consolidate, the consolidators will get consolidated over, you know, on a three to five year view um, into into a smaller number of really powerful CPG, Procter and Gamble type companies. Right. I mean,
0: that's what I'm hearing also as the kind of the target state of the aggregators. uh, omar and amet like as we are kind of coming to the end of our show uh maybe any um any advices for uh, the brands uh now what should they do in 2022 uh in the first quarter like what would be your recommendations uh any advice i think everybody will appreciate it
2: my, my main piece of advice for entrepreneurs that are ultimately looking to get an exit, whether it's Q1 next year or, frankly, 2022 or 2023, is, is, is preparation. Uh, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. Um, I used to do at Morgan Stanley, I used to help companies become IPO ready uh, for the stock exchanges. And we have something similar at the year Group called, called Exit Ready. And um, So, um, if you're, if this is probably the, your your audience's biggest payday when they ultimately sell one of these one of these businesses, right? So, but it's it's crazy how little time the entrepreneurs are putting into preparing for the exit. Um, and so that's my biggest piece of advice. Hi, is is to um, is to plan, have a strategic plan to improve the operational side of your business, but also um, get your ducks in a row from a corporate finance perspective, so that when you do press the green light on an exit process. That you're ready to go and ultimately that will give you your, your 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 best chance of getting the, the the best deal the best payday got it omar anything to add
1: i would say i would say be innovative and for the ones who are new to the game uh want to come in don't just like you already said don't just bring in uh brands which have been uh easily created just like that put the label on it, that's it you know think about a product be bring bring your personality uh, uh, within, you know, try to uh, bring, bring really your whole lifestyle. So if, if you're not standing behind it, it makes no sense anymore. If you just put a label on it and sell it, just really like it needs to be you, you need to reflect on the product. Uh, if you like sports or if you like cooking or if you like any of these things, if there is a hobby from you or something behind it, you can really grow it and do it naturally. And this is what everyone is looking for to acquire companies like this, and to grow them because there is actually actual face and actual story behind it. This is uh, my advice for somebody who wants to begin right now.
0: Great advice, uh, both from different perspectives. I mean, and I am, you know, as the the EVA CEO, very much focused on how to maximize the profits. Exactly, your uh, advice as well. (laughs) my, My thinking is all about Maximize your profits, which will help directly to your valuation. And, uh, you know, we create technology to really help the, uh, the brands to uh, increase their profits by at least 10% in 30 days. That's kind of our new motto. And we kind of like streamline all our products to make it work and show it to the uh, brands. And so far it was, it's successful and 10% increase means, Hey guys, you're going to get maybe 10% more when you exit. So it makes a lot of sense to focus on the profits right now. So that will be my, my advice. So uh, thank you very much, um, Emmett, for joining our call. I mean, I really get some great insights. Um, Thank thank you, you, Omar. And uh, yeah, looking forward to our, uh, you know, next chapter. So
2: thank you. Great. Great, thank you for having Thanks. me. Happy holidays. Yep. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Bye bye. Take care.